everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Last Defense 2012. Uh, today we have James Corbett with us again on relatively short notice. I'm happy to have him back. The occasion today is the, how do you say, the gold plunge and silver plunge, I, I guess you would say. Uh, as some of you might know, gold plunged, what, 20, 20%, James? Um, how, how far did these things go? Uh, yes, I believe it was uh, 14% uh, of its value in um, just two days. So absolutely, it was a huge, huge uh, amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is especially frustrating for me because um, as some of my listeners might know, and as I've mentioned before, my family and I are moving back to the U.S. soon, and we need to sell a little bit to uh, make ends meet. So this is probably the worst time. I was listening to your, one of your recordings on Radio Liberty with Stan, Dr. Stan Monteith, and you were saying how May will probably be when all this bottoms out. And I was just thinking, my God, because that, that's when we're moving, and that's probably when we're going to have to sell something. And I'm like, gosh, this has got to be the worst luck in the world, the worst uh, collapse since, what, the 1980s? And and I have to may have to sell a, a not a bunch of it, but a lot of it um, at the worst timing ever. <laughs> so that is unfortunate, and I do sympathize with that situation. And as you say, it is the biggest, uh, at least the biggest two day, or it was the biggest single day drop in thirty years that's taken place. So mm-hmm. it is an, an and it's a, a pretty unusual drop at that. And uh, even people who have been in the gold market for decades are saying they've never seen anything quite like this before. So I think we are seeing something that is not a regular occurrence by any means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I want to get straight into why that's not a regular occurrence. Now, I was reading an article by I think Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. He was an economist with the Reagan administration, I believe. I hope I'm not uh, making a mistake, but in any case, he's an economist and he was writing an article about naked shorts. Now, the last time we talked, I got we both got a little bit into derivatives, financial derivatives, speculation, gambling, I guess you could call it. Uh, specifically, he was talking about naked shorts. Now, a short is like a bet where you basically you sell your gold or silver or any stock or bond, etc., at a price, and you promise to buy it back at a lower price. Now, I'm a little confused about how these work, but um, the the point of the article is that these can actually drive down the price of a commodity or a stock or bond, etc. Um, do, do you know how this works, and can you explain to, to me and everybody else what's going on here? Right. Well, just like with any other product, the more of it that is being sold, the the more that that drives down the value, because obviously the price is a function of demand and supply, and if there's a bigger supply suddenly on the market, uh, if you're suddenly selling a lot more, then that's going to drive down the amount that people are willing to pay for it. So. Um, shorting is, as you say, exactly that process, um, selling, uh, something with the, uh, the intention of buying it later on because you think that the value, the value is going to drop in the meantime. And if, uh, I suppose if you can sell enough of it, then you can actually make that price drop, which is, I think, one of the, the interesting parts of this whole process. Naked shorting, of course, is when you don't even, uh, own the thing that you're quote unquote selling. 
um, you're just selling it and people are uh, buying that promise and you are going to cover it at some later point or, or so you say. Um, now that's basically what's been happening in the gold markets for a long time, that this is all just sort of paper fantasy land stuff that's been going on and a lot of notional assets and notional uh, trades that have been going on for a long time that drive down the price. And uh, this is why we've had the big institutional banks that have had their short positions on the metals for a long time. It's because every time that it comes time to cover their shorts, i.e., to actually buy back the uh, the stocks that they've sold, um, or buy yeah the the ETFs and other gold derivative paper paper gold, uh, they they there's suddenly a big route and a big sale, and the price drops down, and uh, lo and behold, they they manage to cover their shorts. In this case, it was uh, for example, Goldman Sachs had a position out at uh, gold at fourteen fifty. This was back when gold was uh, at that fifteen hundred or so mark. And, uh, and suddenly it uh, drops down to, uh, to, to almost the 1300 level. Um, Goldman then, instead of actually covering their short and closing out their position, they managed to, um, to lower their, their, uh, target to 1400. So they, they don't believe that the bottom is hit quite yet either. So the, the, I mean, this is basically the process we're at. And, and the important thing to understand is that basically the more, the more of something there is on the market, the more that price is going to drop. And that's at least partially what we were seeing happening during this this big route that took place the other day. Now, now this is where I get confused. You just said, and, and I read this too, um, in a naked short, there is no actual physical gold being exchanged or sold or purchased. So how – and I, I'm, you probably already answered this, but I'm still confused – how does not actually having the gold and not actually selling it, how is it, is, is it just the paper that, uh, you see where I'm going with this? Like, how does that work? You know, how does it make it go down? Because you just said there's no actual gold in a naked short being sold. Right. So well, there's nothing actually changing hands per se other than um, basically on a on a balance sheet somewhere, someone's putting something in a column. But that doesn't mean that thing they're putting in the column actually exists. And so mm-hmm. basically, I mean, with a naked short, you can basically just sort of invent this 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 thing that you don't have, and it mm-hmm. goes on the books. As long as you're able to supply it at some later date when you're actually when it actually comes due for delivery, then you, for all intents and purposes, you can invent it till the cows come home. Um, and and that is really one of the, I mean, ridiculous parts of the market is that so much of what takes place on the market are are trades that only take place in people's head to the for a large uh, to a large extent, and that has to do with the the idea of delivery of of things that are sold and 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 other systems that take place in the markets. So um, un- and unfortunately, this happens. Quite a lot, and uh, naked shorting specifically, although it is illegal, it continues to happen, and um, and, and it often happens uh, with uh, the the concerted takedown of uh, small companies that are provide uh, any type of actual true uh, uh, um, competition to to the major uh, big investment firms and and others that are looking to to make sure that they they have that monopoly of power. Mm-hmm. Now, you you also just said here that um, as long as you're actually able to eventually supply that physical gold, then the deal is okay. 
Um, in the article, sorry, I should I, stress not physical gold, um, because what we're talking about here are, is ETFs, which are, ETFs? yeah, which is not physical gold at all anyway. Um, that is paper gold that's being traded on the market that, okay. um, that generally speaking, unless the person actually, or the, the person on the other end of it actually re- demands physical delivery of the gold, it never actually becomes physical gold anyway. Um, it, it, there's, it's usually the, the promise that gold could be produced if demanded, but there's usually a lot of stipulations around that anyway, which is exactly the point behind the entire gold ETF uh, electronic traded funds uh, system anyway, which is that 99% of the people who are holding ETFs are really just holding the paper notional idea of gold. It is not gold. It is not backed up by anything. And the idea is if everybody went and and does demanded the physical gold that backs it up it would probably not actually i mean they wouldn't be able to l- deliver it because there is something in the neighborhood of uh 50 to 100 claims on every actual ounce of gold that physically exists in the world so mm. if uh, if people actually demanded the physical gold the the there would be no way they'd be able to keep up with that and actually supply it yeah and there is five the the paper gold not not the real gold but um, the naked shorts amounted to 500 tons. Now, 500 tons translates to 16 million ounces. I don't even know if there's 16 million ounces of gold in existence. <laughs> so uh, there, there definitely are. Um, for, just to put that in perspective, for example, the uh, the United States official official reserves is 8,000 tons. Oh, 8,000 um, tons. Okay. And uh, and and there's, I mean, uh, China is at uh, however many hundreds of tons, and there's th- mm. you know thousands of tons. Uh, I think Germany has 3,000, etc. So so there is. I mean, there is that much certainly in existence, but for all for 500 tons to come on the market in one day, especially in one coordinated or two coordinated pushes like that, as uh, as Dr. Roberts and uh, Andrew McGuire have asserted, that is, I mean, just phenomenal. And that would certainly explain uh, the huge drop that took place. But that wouldn't be all of what explains that drop. In fact, uh, there's a lot of factors that kick into this, including the fact that so much trading that's being done right now is algorithmic trading, which basically means that um, people program in a certain uh, sell price. You know, once it drops to this point, you, you better sell. And uh, since so much of the trading is being done by these bots, basically it, it, you'll you'll see sudden dramatic drops um, all that that take place all at once. It's sort of circuit breakers kick in and and people just start selling and the, and the bots uh, go crazy. And I think that's definitely something that played into that sell off that we saw. And interestingly enough, I mean that's that's basically what what happened with the flash crash on the on the Dow Jones a, a, a couple of years ago, where we saw it lose 500 points in one hour or whatever it was. And uh, in fact, just last night, as we're talking here um, in Germany, uh, there was a flash crash in six minutes, wiping out, uh, I believe it was something like 200 points on the uh, the German stock market. So this continues to happen. And I think uh, the algorithmic trading has to be taken into account when we look at these dramatic drops as well. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the flash spike in gold that happened about two years ago? I'm looking it up right now, actually. Gold for about a period of 15 minutes went over 3,000 an ounce and then dropped all the way back down to about 1,300 where it was at the time. Uh, I, that... I don't, I don't remember that at all. I have no idea what that. 
Okay, yeah, I'm going to bring it up right now, and I'll ask about it again in a little bit when I got an article here. But, yeah, for about 15 minutes, um, anybody who had a lot of gold made a lot of money, and then it dropped back down. People caught it on YouTube and are recorded it off the TV and put it on YouTube to, as proof that it happened. But in any case, uh, I'll, I'll bring that up again when I have an article. So uh, let's see. I have here this, the premium, the spot in the premium, the the purchasing price, the, the price that it's listed at, gold and silver, and the price that dealers are actually charging for it is spreading. The, there's a bigger gap now. Does that mean that the dealers, they know that this is like, being driven by naked shorts and then they don't really perceive the gold and silver prices as what they are being listed as. I think we have to see that uh, this as the beginning of that. And one can only say it's about time because as I say, the way that the precious metals have been manipulated hitherto has always been this type of, uh, you know, sleight of hand in the paper markets and, and these types of uh, shortings and, and other things that are done in order to drive the price down. Um, and and this has been an effective way of manipulating that spot price. But what we saw, interestingly enough, in the immediate wake of this huge plunge, we not only did we not see any actual uh, uh, drop in in retail demand that 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 was noticeable by any dealer dealers uh, before this this incident. After the incident, in the, in the past few days, we've seen uh, as reports coming in from all around the world, including um, reports in the in Shanghai where people were buying jewelry like it, it was going out of style. Um, in India, where retail demand has been spiking, and uh, and also in the United States and elsewhere on, online, there's been a lot of uh, dealers, bullion dealers, who have said they're they're completely out of stock and not expecting to get in, be able to fulfill orders for the next mm-hmm. month. Um, um, basically, what we're seeing is everybody in the physical market is seeing this as an excellent buying opportunity. And uh, and so I think this is where the we might actually start to see that disconnect happening between the uh, the paper market and the physical market. And when and if that happens, I think we're going to see that that price for actual physical gold just exploding as it becomes apparent that there are shortages in terms of what what is available out there for people to buy physically. Hmm. That's interesting. And also, yeah, I have here 50 to 1 uh, purchase to selling ratio. So certainly people aren't trying to sell, you know, unless they have to like me. <laughs> yeah, so, well, uh, exactly right. And 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 uh, again, one looks at these types of uh, rundowns in the gold market and, as attempts by the people who who realize that the rising gold price is bad for their policies, um, that these are attempts to basically drive people out of the market and and shake them out and say and get them to get their money out of gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, of course, with all of these types of actions, it always comes down to who benefits, who benefits from this, and it's it's obvious who who benefits from this and who who stir, serves to uh, to lose out when gold is is prices are rising and that are the that is the central bank crew and their supporters who are basically trying to cheerlead the idea of qu- quantitative easing to infinity and everything's up perfectly okay the the economy's all right the currency's stable get back into stocks um you know everything's okay uh, and the, uh, when gold prices are rising, that shows a distrust in the, the currency. 
And when they're falling, it shows that the currency is sound and stable. So exactly in, in, in line with that, in the day or two after the, the gold crash, we had story after story coming out from the usual mainstream talking heads saying, oh, the gold bugs were wrong. Uh, this shows that, uh, the Keynesians were right. This shows that, uh, Ben Bernanke is doing a great job at the Federal Reserve. Everything's tickety boo. So, um, I, I think we can see where that's coming from at any rate. And regardless of how it happened, uh, we can certainly see that they stand to benefit from it and then take on board what Dr. Dr. Roberts and Andrew McGuire and others are saying about how the Federal Reserve were the ones behind these shorts that that appeared on on uh, Friday and uh, put two and two together. Uh, and I, I think it's quite obvious that the central banks are the ones that are trying to to gain and profit from this uh, this crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a feeling those mainstream media reports didn't talk a lot about the naked shorts. <laughs> so, uh, well, actually, actually, I did see one that addressed it oh. and basically oh. said, um, "Well, I talked to my sources, and they said that uh, they they couldn't imagine that that four four to five hundred tons were dumped on Friday." So. Mm-hmm. It probably didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And that was but basically again, it, the conclusion. It's financial derivatives. People don't really know what derivatives are. I'm still trying to figure out what derivatives are. <laughs> so it's difficult for the general public to understand. Uh, you actually already answered my next question, I guess. I was going to ask, um, is the Federal, Re- Federal Reserve and establishment in general preparing to try and re- reestablish confidence in the dollar? Um, and I, you just kind of answered that already. Is so. Do, in the Paul Craig Roberts article that I cited, he was saying that they're trying to reinstate confidence in the dollar because they're getting ready for like a big crash, which I, I don't, I don't know that like it, it's the kind of big crash that it's going to happen overnight or maybe it will at some point, but definitely, um, as you know, the Federal Reserve is pumping out their QE3 slash QE infinity and, um, they're, you know, a- any more comments on that? Or? <laughs> well, I, I I am with you. I'm not sure that – well, at, at any rate, I'm not sure that a, a sudden huge crash would be to their benefit because that would bring things to a head in a way that would bring in that kind of Mad Max scenario that maybe – I mean, we certainly have seen them preparing for it in various ways, but I'm not sure that ultimately goes um, with their agenda because it would shake a lot of people out of that system and into the uh, camp of resisting against it. And, I, I mean, who knows? Maybe that is the end game. But I think it would probably, if I were in that controlling seat of power, I think it would be better to have a longer drawn-out transition mm. so that you can kind of gradually increase the heat and just basically convince people to to move over into the new system, whatever that is that you present them with. And I can imagine that we are moving towards some sort of, if not regional currency as a stepping stone to, the, you know, the, the final global currency, well, something along those lines and probably something electronic that can be tracked and traced and everything you ever do financially can be put onto, you know, into a database. I think that's where we're ultimately heading. It's just a question of how they try to take us there. Um, so on that note, I mean, uh, I think they're definitely trying to prolong the dollar. Um, at this point, they still want to string people along into into trusting the dollar and also into trusting basically the the markets themselves 
Um, because if they can convince people of the economic reality of this economic wonderland, then all sorts of manipulations are possible. Um, so, so I think that has to be seen as a key motivation behind this type of thing. And again, we have to understand that the, the apparatus for doing these types of manipulations has existed at the very least for decades, um, ever since the Reagan administration in the wake of the 1987 crash brought in the president's group on financial matters. I, I can never remember the official title of it, but it's unofficially referred to as the Plunge Protection Team. And it is a, a team that, again, is directed by someone who is appointed by the president that basically intervenes directly in the market to make sure that no big crash ever happens. And uh, under the name, in the name of that, they do all sorts of manipulations. And you can see sometimes just in the in the charts where uh, the normal chaotic spikes and dips and, and ups and downs of the market suddenly becomes an absolute straight line. It is taken from one number to another before it starts to resume its its usual chaotic pattern. Um, so so you can actually see the, the work of this manipulation at times. And I think we have to understand that, again, this this has existed and this has been going on. You have people like the Gold Antitrust Action Committee at GATA.org and others who have been talking specifically about how these manipulations are done. And uh, and I think we have to understand that that's part of what we saw taking place on the gold market in the last few days. Now, when it comes to the manipulations with the naked shorts, um, I mean, as you said, there's no real there's no real gold being exchanged. So eventually, uh, I guess my question is, is there going to be any kind of like a boomerang or bounce back, hopefully before May? <laughs> uh, because eventually people are going to figure out that there was not, there wasn't actually real physical gold dumped on the market. And could that result in like a bounce back? I, well, let's put it this way. It should. It should. Um, the price should never have crashed like that so quickly anyway. But, um, and so it should, I would imagine, regain at the very least where it was on the way to, to higher highs uh, in the future. But, um, but again, in a market that is this manipulated and that you can have that type of crash, I wouldn't want to predict exactly what is going to happen? Because again, there's so many different ways for this to be manipulated and so many ways for them to try to pull one out, a uh, rabbit out of their hat. Now, as we're saying, uh, the, it, it look, it is looking more and more like there is going to be a disconnect between the physical and the paper markets. And when and if that happens, I mean, basically ETFs will, will, uh, go the way of the dodo bird because what is the point of holding paper gold if it has suddenly disconnected from the actual retail market where people are buying physical gold and people realize there isn't enough of that to go around. Um, basically, then the people who are holding paper gold are are really just holding paper, which they mm-hmm. really are. I mean, at, at base, there isn't enough gold yeah. to cover all the paper that's out there. So um, so I think once that really, that, that last leg of the illusion is completely shattered, then I don't think that there's anywhere for this to go except for, I mean... Uh, not only up, but basically through the roof. And, mm-hmm. uh, for example, I mean, we had calculations, um, by, by people at GATA and other places a couple of years ago that there's somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, 50 to 1 when it comes to, um, 
gold, uh, paper gold to actual physical gold. So uh, just, I mean, from the crudest estimate, if you're going to say, well, then it would be 50 times more than the price uh, is right now, then um, by those prices a couple of years ago, the calculation was something like $52,000 an ounce. Mm. So, I mean, uh, it, whatever it actually does end up being, the, the actual value of the gold should be much, much, much higher than what we're seeing mm. now. So if all things were equal and if, if the market played fair and if everything worked out the way it should, I would have no doubt that the prices would be on their way up significantly. Maybe not in the short term, but certainly over the longer haul. But again, uh, it's just a question of how long they can keep up the manipulations and how long people will continue to believe in them. And uh, and that's something that's pretty much impossible to predict. Mm-hmm. And I found that article on the Daily Paul and Freedom Liberty News blogspot, that blogspot, uh, about the gold flash. Gold went up to $3,401 on August 30th, 2010, and it stayed there about... 15 minutes or a half hour or so, and then it plummeted back down. It was really strange. There's a lot of people who recorded it off their television and computer screens. And, uh, yeah, that, that could be an example of some of these manipulations, maybe skipping a beat or a glitch in the system, so to speak. And temporarily, gold went really far up. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that's an unbelievable thing. And um, I, as far as I know, that's not officially recorded as a high for gold because I've never heard of that 3400 mark ever mentioned. So I assume yeah. they, they say that that was some sort of technical glitch mm, or something. Yeah, that, I think that was the official story, quote unquote. Uh, but I mean, it wasn't really reported as like a headline in the news or anything, but it was recorded off of, you know, people who took snapshots of it and video and whatnot. Interesting. Anyway, um, let's see what else here. I have Germany wants their gold back. You talked about this on Radio Liberty, I think, and they're not getting it back or they are, but they're getting it back in, um, uh, payments over several years. Um, you've probably already answered this question too. Obviously, they don't have the gold <laughs> to to give to them. So, well, that's. I mean, that's basically it. But but the question is, you know, how much gold is there in the uh, in, in the United States, which where they hold a lot of the gold for for different countries? Um, how much of it is in London? Um, there's been concern for for years bubbling under the surface over the actual gold holdings of a lot of countries like Germany that keep a lot of their gold in in London and New York because there's been uh, the implication that a lot of the gold that is sitting in these vaults has been leased out through various schemes so um, to the point where the who actually owns the title to what piece of gold is uh, is questionable, and if everybody is coming asking for their gold all at once, it could definitely crash that system. So, um, so I think that's that's part of what actually led to all of this, and led, for example, to Germany asking for for uh, at the very least to physically account for their gold and to repatriate, mm-hmm. I believe, seven hundred tons of it. Um, and, and that is just one of the countries that is, that has now started to ask for that. And we're starting to see that rush for the exit coming at the exact same time as last year, uh, central banks bought more, as much gold as they have since, uh, in any year since 1964. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a rush happening in the central banks themselves that are definitely trying to get as much of the physical stuff in their physical vaults as they physically can. And uh, again, that's just another indicator that what's happening out there with the, that, that price, that manipulated price in the paper markets has nothing to do with what people are actually planning for 
and, and, and trying to get in, into their own stocks. So, I mean, watch what the central banks are doing, not what they're saying. And if you look at China and Russia, for example, feverishly trying to buy gold, I, I think, uh, the writing is on the wall. And uh, that to me suggests that they, they know something is coming, um, in the future with regards to some sort of gold backed currency. Um, and, and again, when and if and how that happens and what kind of wars might transpire in the meantime to prevent that from happening, who knows? But, but, uh, I, I think the writing is on the wall for the US dollar and people are preparing themselves for accordingly. Or should I say central banks are preparing themselves accordingly and the average person on the street has no idea, um, what's happening behind the scenes with the central banks. So it's important for us to keep an eye on things like the German gold repatriation and the other countries that are trying to repatriate because it's just another canary in the coal mine when it comes to what's happening in the gold markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds kind of like fractional reserve banking in a way, doesn't it? When- um, yes, I mean, basically, uh, that's exactly right, because just as uh, banks can lend out money they don't have, so central banks and, and people that are holding these reserves can uh, lend lend out uh, gold reserves that they don't own. And it is exactly that type of system, and that's why it is uh, doomed to fail if and when there's a run. And uh, and they, I think we'll see a lot of manipulations and, and distractions to try to make sure that doesn't happen. But um, but I, I can see that coming in the future. I'm not sure when, but I can definitely see a day when there will be a run on that gold. Yeah. And then also what it reminds me of is in history, I believe it was Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, that had people's gold uh, confiscated. Back, back in like the World War II era. Do, do you know what I'm talking about here? Yes, or? it was uh, Roosevelt issued an executive order, I believe it was 1933. And uh, we, in fact, just passed over the 80th anniversary. So um, happy yeah. gold confiscation day. Oh, and okay. uh, yes, uh, there was a, uh, a writ that went out for to to get the people's gold. And that was supposedly all brought to uh, to the um, Fort Knox and uh, and held in safekeeping by the government. And the government gave the the uh, the going price of gold at the time, which was at that, I believe, uh, actually that was before Bread and Woods, so I'm not sure it was pegged to $35 an ounce, but whatever it was, it was... Around 30 yeah. Yeah, something like that. They gave it to the, the people, and uh, and immediately um, the, uh, the the price of gold spiked. They... they they uh, pegged the dollar at at a higher price. Mm-hmm. So um, so and and uh, then of course there's the question of does the uh, does Fort Knox have any gold at all? Mm-hmm. Has that all been liquidated? What what's happened to that? Why is there no physical accounting of the gold, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, mystery that goes along with that, and uh, that's just part of it. But it is important for people, certainly in the U.S., to keep in mind that not only can it be done, it has been done of gold confiscation in the past. Which is why, um, the, again, it's just another aspect of of governmental intrusion, and it, it just goes to show if they, I mean, why would they want to confiscate the gold other than the fact that gold does have that intrinsic value that uh, that puts the the paper system in jeopardy? Yeah, this could be a this latest naked short scheme to scare people out of it. Could be like a prelude, like. You know, they they can't physically take the gold right now without getting people upset, but they can try to scare people to 
get rid of it. Do, do you agree? Well, I think I think basically the the development of the paper market has been one way of extending that power of manipulation without it being that boot in your face tyranny of we're going to come and take your gold. I think uh, Americans would definitely take umbrage to that and would probably resist. Um, but when it's done through a hey, well, we've just developed these ETFs and they're a great investment. And I mean, it's it's a it's a wonderful, happy, smiling face to the manipulations. So I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think we have to see it in those terms. And I, I mean, I can't imagine at this point in this current climate, um, them coming out and saying that we're going to confiscate your gold. Um, there'd have to be some events between now and then to prepare the public for that. But, but again, it is, it is a possibility and it has been done in the past. So I think people should at least keep that in mind and, uh, prepare themselves accordingly. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned earlier in our conversation that the naked shorts are illegal. Um, I know they certainly were illegal for the about half of the 20th century from, I, I think, the 1930s up until the 1980s. And then, der- well, derivatives in general were, were illegal. And then Reagan sort of deregulated them. And then Clinton further deregulated them by ending, I think it was the Glass-Steagall Act. That- right, right. I, I, that's, uh, well, that's not exactly... The case, uh, the Glass-Steagall Act was a, a way of um, basically separating the mm-hmm. functions of banks, basically dividing yeah. banks between their investment arms and their their uh, their banking arms, their commercial arms, mm-hmm. and making sure that those two two functions were split into separate banks, that they were separate companies, because uh, they understood that if you had uh, banks that were the basis for people uh, people's deposits and those same banks were playing the casino economy and and make in and investing in derivatives and all of that sort of stuff you would have you would be putting people's savings at risk i mean mm-hmm. it would be a, it would be a huge thing and it would put the banks in positions of uh where they're not definitely working in their their customers interests etc so th- for a long time that was federally mandated that th- those had to be completely separate uh separated the glass steagall act when it was repealed basically meant that suddenly jp morgan and all these other banks that that people banked with could suddenly in be, become those types of casino economy and and invest in derivatives directly which meant that derivatives suddenly i mean they they have existed for hundreds of years and they have not been illegal derivatives generally um and and uh, but they haven't been the incredible market that they have been in the past 15 years or so because because of that separation of of mm-hmm. uh, banking powers but um uh but with naked shorting that has always been illegal because basically it's selling something you don't have so there's a difference between naked shorting and shorting and uh and naked shorting is and remains illegal but it is still unfortunately a common practice so maybe that's what was illegal then i, I don't know i'm not i don't know all the details but what what can we do about these derivatives especially or specifically the naked shorts um can we tax them can we make them enforce them to be illegal? <laughs> what, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, I mean, the question answers itself. I mean, they are illegal. The naked right. shorts at least right. are they illegal, but they're still happening. It. So, um, so the question is, what can we do? And the, that question has to be seen not through the lens, I think, of 
the political answer that is often provided to people. Well, we can start a petition and we can, you know, ask our representatives to do something. No, I, I think what we can actually affect on our individual level is, is something of, I suppose, more limited scope, but it's something that we can actually do. And, and, uh, that boils down to basically our in a participation in that system. And the system, of course, relies on our participation in some way or another. And if we play that political game where, oh, if we can elect the right person who says they're going to put Glass-Steagall back in, then we can restore the confidence in the markets, blah, 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 whatever it is that that, that, that entails, um, that is still playing the game. And the game, as we know, has been absolutely rigged top to bottom from its very inception. It's been designed to be rigged from, from top to bottom, and that's... Uh, uh, that's a losing proposition for the average person like you and me who who does not have access to, you know, an investment bank of our own or a, a big billion dollar hedge fund. So I think for the average person, what this boils down to is to try to get out of this system in every way possible. And uh, this has to be done at the most fundamental level possible, because ultimately what this all boils down to is the type of confidence game that is played with the dollar, which, of course, is an instrument that is controlled and 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 derives its existence from the Federal Reserve, and uh, and it is a debt based instrument that is absolutely uh, eating away into the um, the potential for for humanity basically to actually do anything other than to become debt slaves to the banksters. So I think we have to start thinking in terms of what we can, what types of transactions we can actually accomplish to to provide the necessities that we need without engaging in that system at all. And this is where I think the ideas of complementary currencies, alternative currencies, and uh, and local markets, uh, all of those types of things, I think, have a, a part to play in this. Because as I've been saying for a while now, I think the, the one thing that we can affect is, you know, how we transact with those around us in our own communities. And if there is, for example, a community currency in, in your area, I mean, I know that a lot of the United States there's all sorts of different community currencies that are already existing. There's some here in Japan. I'm not sure about Korea, but basically all around the world, there's all sorts of different ideas for time banking and, and other such systems. And uh, I'm not saying that any one of those currencies is going to be the the thing that everyone should flock to. But I think we have to start expanding our, our, our idea of how we transact at all. And uh, it has to come down to those, I think, nuts and bolts, brass tacks level, because... Uh, again, playing the game and and uh, hoping that some government is going to come in with the right rules to to limit what can and can't be done is again divesting our our, our responsibilities off into some political realm rather than actually saying what we can actually physically do on a day-to-day basis with our own transactions that we accomplish. So I think the power has to ultimately rest on us to not play that game that they've rigged and that they've presented to us and to see what we can actually accomplish to get around that uh, completely. And certainly, that again, that's a huge, long, slow, basically intergenerational project that will not happen overnight. But, uh, but a little bit here and a little bit there, we can start to wean ourselves off that system. And the faster, the better, because unfortunately, time is running out. Yeah, get get off the grid, I guess, is the 
is the phrase, right? Get well, not yes, that's right. But but I think that also creates the impression of some sort of bu- bunker mentality where you know every man for himself and just try to stock up what you can and and try to survive. But I don't want to portray it as that because I think the real solution is to create a different grid, to create one that actually right. is <laughs> responsive to what we want and looks like what we want. If we create a system that is functioning and that we can we can basically show uh, the people around us, hey, look, here's the system. It's already functioning. It's it's not manipulatable by bankers or whatever because it functions like such and such. If we actually have a system that we can present to people, then we don't have to get people into that bunker mentality. We can simply show them a superior system. And I think that's ultimately what we have to at least set our sights at. Um, whether or not we'll be able to accomplish that, who knows? But I think we have to at least have that type of goal because that's where uh, that's where our power lies at the end of the day. Now, as far as like larger alternative systems go, what about um, what about BRICS, the the big group of Asian countries that are getting together to counterbalance the NATO establishment? Is that is that just another evil establishment, or are they actually going to come up with a? That's a big question. <laughs> uh, are they are they coming up with a better system, or is it just another rigged system? Uh, the enemy of our enemy is our friend. Um, well, I, I don't like to get into, in, into that, uh, that mentality because again, I think that at the end of the day, what BRICS represents is just an alternative block, mm. which will be played off against the, the existing power block, which creates that impetus towards that global economy. I mean, it, again, it's just a stepping stone on the way towards that. Of course, uh, regions have to, first you have to have regional currencies and then those regional currencies have to unite and then, Ultimately, we'll have some sort of global government by by um, e- either wholesale or or by bits and pieces, basically joining together. Um, and and it is just another power block at the end of the day. And uh, it it uh, no matter how different it might look from the NATO power block and, and it might act differently in some ways. At the end of the day, I mean, let's not delude ourselves that the Russian oligarchy and plutocracy actually cares about the, the public any more than the American or, you know, the Chinese. Or mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I think it's still puppeteered by people at the very top of the system. And uh, whether they might be more or less benevolent in, in their puppeteering of that system, it is still controlled from the very top. And it is structured to be top-down systems. So I think the BRICS possibility of BRICS becoming a, a, a competing power block, I mean, it's fascinating geopolitically, and it's important to keep our eyes on because it is definitely developing. But whether it would present the type of, you know, savior system, um, I, I would be extremely skeptical of that. And I wouldn't trust it uh, just by the nature of what it is. Again, it's top-down control of political elites and uh, and uh, whatever illusion they might give of some sort of whatever pe- people's participation in that, um, it still is only at their whim uh, whether or not they actually allow any genuine political participation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right, so that was a lot of great information today. In the future, I definitely want to have you back on to talk about focus on solutions, not just individual solutions. Like you said, we don't want to make it like the bunker mentality where every every family for themselves. But I want to talk about what, what can we do, you know, as communities and even as a larger as larger societies to try to, you know, from the ground up, I guess you would say, you know, create an alternative system that we can actually benefit from well i look forward to that conversation because it's an important one to have Mm -hmm. okay so i think that wraps it up pretty good then um thank you for coming on as always and i hope 
to oh, oh but I forgot to mention um, uh, Hano could not be with us today he uh, he's probably teaching or studying he, he's a busy guy so anyway I forgot to mention that at the beginning of the show but Hano's working hard and um, we'll hear from him soon as well so anyway um, thanks again for coming on and I guess that's it thank you I appreciate it